Welcome to episode seven of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. I'm joined once again by Darren Hill. How are you today, Darren? Good, double Z. Yeah, Good so mate. we're, we're going to hit out the last couple of trades. Uh, I believe we did sort of, we did our trade deadline podcast last week and uh, I, I made the prediction that uh, I didn't think there'd be any major trades go through. I'm not sure how close any of those trades ended up being to going through, uh, but we didn't have anything too major uh, that did go through at right at the deadline there. Um, the last trade, I think, was PJ Tucker to Toronto, so we'll touch on that one a little bit and look at uh, some of the teams that did make minor moves. But one of the moves that we mainly spoke about uh, in our conversations, Darren, was the Philadelphia and Dallas trade, which happened, and that was uh, Nerlens Noel and uh, going to Dallas for Justin Anderson and two second rounders. And when I first saw it, I must admit, I thought it was James Anderson, the old Spurs player that uh, was playing for, uh, for Dallas last year. So I was even more underwhelmed uh, at the point. Now I say two second rounds, I mean, they're trying to sell it as a first-round pick, but it is top 18 protected, and there's, I think, next to no chance that Dallas sneak that high up in the standings uh, that they would uh, be uh, you know, picking anywhere above 18. So... I think it's, it's certainly two second-rounders and um, Justin Anderson. So from that point of view, I, I was a bit underwhelmed with it, but I thought, okay, probably best they could do at that time, given that where, where it was, it was five minutes to midnight, essentially, uh, and Nerlens Noel is a restricted free agent. I don't think Philly were interested in paying him at the end of the year, so it's either let him leave for nothing or pick up a couple of second-rounders and Justin Anderson. That's fine. I don't have a problem with it from that side of it. My worry with it was I thought they, Colangelo really blew this, or the Colangelos, for that matter, really blew this in the terms. They sort of put all their eggs in one bus saying, we want to trade Okafor. They overvalued Okafor. Uh, they didn't get the, the deals that they wanted. So then they, their plan B was to sort of move on Noel, and essentially they didn't get as much for Noel as what they may have been able to get six months earlier. But I know you had a different take on it. You actually liked the trade for Philadelphia, and we'll, we'll touch on the Dallas side of it in a moment. But I just want to get your thoughts first on the Philadelphia side, because I know I didn't really like what they did, how they handled the whole situation, but you sort of felt like uh, this is a bit of a win for them. Well, I thought it was, I thought it was something. So I, I go the log jam at center, right? I had had to be solved, and I didn't think waiting till the summer, and when Noel was going to get restricted um, offers, was going to make it any easier for them to find a solution. So I was of the mindset they have to make a move. Um, I probably have since um, I've come off of my. I think we were trading notes. Right after the trade, I was pretty chuffed. I don't know if I could get chuffed for trading Noel for a couple of second rounders, but I was I was definitely in the mindset of, yep, defensible, sensible sort of trade. I think I've probably come off with it a little bit, Daz. Um, but the first thing that actually now struck me when it, when it sat with me is I thought they fired Sam Hinkie, right? I thought yeah. the process, right, I thought this – I don't know, the Adam Silver, Jerry Colangelo engineered, you know, GM hostile takeover 
to send a message to every NBA owner, don't you ever dare thinking about tanking again, or I'm just going to implant, you know, a league stiff to run the team. You know, I thought the process was over. So that's, that's probably a thing that's starting now to kind of eat at me from the Philly perspective is that, is that it's two more second round picks. You had a, you know, that's where I go. How valuable are those? Didn't you sort of get that for Ursan Ilyasova like two days before? Well, and this is the you thing know? to trace the Ilyasova trade back. They had uh, Jeremy Grant, who was a second round draft pick, played okay. They traded him to OKC for Ilyasova, and they have Ilyasova that plays well. They trade him for a second round draft pick. So you start with a second round draft pick, and the wheels turn, and you end up with another second round draft pick. So. I get that they've hit on a couple of them. I mean, Covington's been nice. Uh, KJ McDaniels was okay. I'm not, I can't quite remember what they traded him for, but they traded him, uh, I think, for second rounder, actually, to Houston. Uh, and I'm hoping... I think he got traded too at the deadline, so I'm hoping he might end up doing something. But I, I guess the point is, it's hard to hit on these second rounders, and why are you just continually uh, collecting second round draft picks? What are you hoping to do with them? Uh, and a lot, to your point, are we just continuing down the Sam Hinkie track? And if we are, why did we get rid of Sam Hinkie in the first place? That's what can feel like. A, what direction are they bleeping heading? That's the thing that's starting to probably eat at me, Daz, as I've, I've sat with this for a couple of days. As you go, number one, what direction are you heading? Really collecting more second rounders for genuine NBA assets? It looks like asset destruction from my perspective. Uh, sort of the only, the only glimmer, right? where I say we're going to have to couch a little bit of the vitriol for a couple of years in the same way we have to, <laughs> no, let's give lots of vitriol to Sacramento and then come back and revisit to see how good Buddy Heald is. I'm turning the on that only, Sacramento drive. We can talk the, about that later. Yeah, the only thing that I go, I'm hanging my hat on is it's. I leave open the possibility they love Justin Anderson. As crazy as that sounds, I go, that seems to be the only thing because – I think you hit on something earlier, which was I think this was a plan B. I think the Okafor market was even worse than the Noel market, and they knew they had to clear the logjam, and they just were a bit trapped. This happened on the last day before the deadline. I think they knew they had to make a move, and they'd lost a lot of leverage. And look, to be fair, Noel's got that. Not every team's going to want to pay Noel. Mm. What will he get if... Jan Mahimi's getting sixty-five million, right? You can bet you can bet Noel's worth eighty to eighty-five. So, um, and that's what you're going to be faced with in Dallas, but they don't care. So that's why I thought that actually is a a perfect fit for Noel of where he's going. I'm just worried about Philly's direction. I go more second rounders, and tell me again, how does Okafor fit with Embiid? That's what. That's what befuddles me most of all, unless you're going to try to sell Okafor on becoming the next Ennis Cantor. So from a basketball perspective, I'm probably even more flummoxed from a Philadelphia perspective of wouldn't you hold on to your assets and, and say, Noel's a great rim protector, rim runner, PNR guy. Wouldn't he pair more nicely with Embiid? Embiid actually can play some, you know, play some stretch four. That makes a lot of sense. But a back-to-the-basket, ground-bound, non-rebounding, non-defensive Okafor, I go, doesn't make sense from a basketball perspective. So I'm confused on direction. I thought the value actually wasn't horrible, given the market for centers. So I'm, I'm not 
totally like horrified about the value they got back for it. I'm just worried about direction and on-court product. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I don't think the value of it at the time, I thought it's five minutes to midnight to the trade deadline. You're losing for nothing in the off-season if you don't take this. That's fine. Get a look at Justin Anderson. I mean, I'm not sure how high they are in him. I mean, he had a DMP in the four minutes, I think, his first two games. But let's wait and see how that plays out. Obviously, Brett Brown may be looking at ways of getting him into the rotation. And he's, he's shooting 40% from three. Okay, only playing 10, 10 minutes a game at Dallas. Uh, but they had high hopes for him when they drafted him as well, I know. So uh, he may very well turn out. But uh, my big thing was, uh, in terms of uh, Okafor, I just think, I would have preferred this trade for Okafor. Just admit you made a mistake on that, and this is where you can throw Hinky under the bus to a point and say that was a bad pick, at picking him at three. Um, I mean, if, if you had that draft again, you'd probably pick Kaminsky before you'd pick Okafor, um, which I'm not sure where your thoughts are. And I mean, I wouldn't have picked either of them at three, but I think if you're redrafting that class, I think Kaminsky goes before Okafor, the way the NBA's going. Um, May you just I look I like Kaminsky but he's no he's no zinger like the, no, the, imagine wouldn't pick him imagine the that's where I sort of get my little fantasy and go fuck imagine that not talk about the devaluation of the bigs but if you have Embiid Zinger and Erwin's Noel you, you're set for twelve years some combination of the stretch some combination of that spot up shooting that Zinger can do and then you got your um. You know, your rim-running protector. Mm. You're set. You might have three bigs, but I go, that's three guys who can play modern NBA basketball. Yeah. So, um, And the story behind yeah. the scenes is that Hinky is claiming he, he wanted to pick um, the Zinger. And yeah. Langelow at that stage was there, and they and they said, no, nah, that, that's going to look like too big a risk again. Uh, we need to take the safe pick, which in, in many cases people thought was Okafor. You know, he said I was going to be a brute. But I guess that's old-style basketball thinking. You know, we're going to get the guy that's the, the proven low-post scorer. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure in the right circumstances, this is a guy that can put up 20 points a night, 20 points plus a night. But I don't think he's ever going to be a centrepiece um, of a real contending team in today's NBA. So to me, that was the guy they needed to move on from. And if it meant taking a low first-round draft pick um, you know, some throwing players or second rounders or whatever it is, just so we need to clear the log jam at centre. Let's give Okafor a fresh start. But and it is it is a condemnation of the centre market, though, just how fast it has fallen off a cliff. When 31-year-old sixth man Lou Williams can get a first rounder and Jalil Okafor, you know, a, you know, an NBA. Sorry, a, a high school McDonald's All-American, a Duke superstar, you know, top three draft pick, you know, within two years, year and a half in the league is worth, not even worth a first rounder. That's my sense, is I bet they wanted, a, I guess some of the word was him going to Chicago, I'd go back home, but um, Philly wasn't willing to take any any contracts on. They didn't want, they didn't want Gibson, um, I guess frameworks of deals around uh, Miritich, and they didn't like Miritich. For that's that's fine, so I guess it was a combination of one of those guys plus a first. But um, Chicago was Chicago was looking deeper into the bench, so yeah. they weren't even willing to give up a first. That was the point I was trying to make with Kaminsky too. Like it is not only that the big man 
is changing, but it's the type of big man that they want. Uh, and the fact that I think Kaminsky's probably now more highly rated, and not that I rate him massively highly, but I think you could rate him in today's NBA higher than what you'd rate Jill Okafor, because I think Okafor's ceiling really is a Greg Munro um, type, uh, Ennis Kander type, as you mentioned. It is, come yeah. Come off the bench, give us 20, 25 minutes, provide some scoring punch. He's really got up his rebounding, because, I mean, that's one thing that... Um, and Munro is a nice passer as well, but Cantor's really good on the rebounds and offensive rebounding, so he's got to certainly look at that part of his game. But I'm certainly not ready to give up on Okafor, but I think you need to look at... He, he's not going to be a starting player, I don't think, going forward. Well, there. See, that's where I go about the, about the direction of where they're heading. I go, if you don't play him, he's never going to develop any value to be worth anything. If you sit him on the bench, he's going to be worth even less and become disgruntled. And he's, you know, maybe he's just a young kid, but he's not the, he's not been a model citizen since he's since he arrived, right? So I go. Oh, I think he's that, handled the, the version pretty well this year. I mean, last year he had some issues, but I, I think he's handled himself pretty well this year and what's been a a difficult season. Yeah, fair enough. I just, but do you see the point where I go, you play him a ton and he blocks, he clogs the lane like a big giant turd mm-hmm. and Bede and, and Sarich and if next year, you know, Simmons, I go, what are you going to do? You get this ball hogging back to the basket, isolating, he's sort of big clogging the lane. He has to be a bench player. Mm-hmm. He has to. I go, or, you know, he, you don't play him much at all. And he's worth even less. Or sorry, you shove him in the starting lineup, and you, you give him some sort of um, ceremonial starter position. So I just I don't I don't know what they're doing now. Well, he so scored I just don't... Uh, 28 points in their last game. I think in the nights are then birds going to have off. Uh, they're going to force feed him the ball. They're going to try and see if he can put up numbers. I believe they're going to try and move him again in the off season. They like Rashad Holmes. This is the guy they're talking up now in Philly. And they're saying he is not that much far below Merlin's Noel. So let's see how he goes. He had a nice first game. I think they actually come out and beat Washington in the first game after the the uh, the trade deadline. So uh, let's wait and see how that sort of side of it plays out as well because I'll be interested to see how Richard Holmes goes uh, for the rest of this season. And then I believe they'll be looking to move Okafor in the off-season. And depending on how the draft picks shake out because we've mentioned on this podcast before just how good Philly could end up when the lottery balls are sort of picked out so that that's when they might look at it and say okay um, what can we now move Okafor with can we package him with one of these first round draft picks and bring a really nice player in uh, or, or even future draft picks whatever it may be uh, so look they're still in a good position I think as overall as a franchise but I just think in this particular situation I don't think they handled it um, as well as they might have. But look, we're, we're not privy to all the different backroom machinations, etc., um, that go on with these trades. Uh, to, to flip it now, though, and look at the Dallas side of things, uh, Noel, in one hand, you look at it and think, really nice fit, had a good game in his first game against the Pelicans yesterday. But another, on the flip side of that, you look at it and say, well, here's a guy they're going to have to pay 16 $17 million. Is this a team that wants to be competing for playoffs now or should they be looking to tear it down and, and try for a rebuild? I mean, whereabouts is this franchise headed? Um, and what does it say about Dallas 
going forward, the fact that they wanted to do this trade and uh, they obviously see a future for Noel in Dallas. Uh, look, I like it more and more because I think Mark Cuban, the way he'll spend with Dirk's last couple of years here, I think he'll be back one more year. And um, and their salary cap situation, they're desperate for young assets. And I think Noel could grow into a, you know, um, centerpiece is a strong word, a reliable, you know, five for a number of years. He's probably going to have to get a four-year deal, be like four years, 75, four years, 80, something like that. Um, I think they'll let the market play out and, and match it. And they're probably, I think they've, as part of the trade, they probably already resigned themselves to that fact that he, Noel probably will get an offer. Um, and even if he doesn't, they've probably got a number in mind already. So I like the fit. I go, I could see Harrison Barnes, who's what? How old's Barnes? Is he 25? Yeah, 26? 25, I think. Because you think he was 25. Yeah, he's not, he's not that old, right? So, so I go, yeah, so I'm starting to go, you know, he's actually only 24. He's 24. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, Barnes and Barnes and Noel, I go, okay, that's that's something. They got Yogi Ferrell for nothing. I'm not saying Yogi Ferrell is, I don't have that bad of a recency bias that his few little hot games suddenly make him <laughs> well, the next I Isaiah. a few podcasts today, and his name came up, I think, three, three or four times. So, But we mentioned him first. We mentioned we did. First. We, we were we were yogi pre yogi. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So yeah, look, I don't think it's. What about like Seth it. Curry? Seth Curry's playing some nice ball there too. Yeah, look, I don't. Um, th- we could do a whole. Maybe in the off season we'll do. Much like I want to talk about GMs, I want to light on fire. You know, Rick Carlisle can coach. There's no secret about that. So look at the talent he has and the team. That team fucking competes. Mm. Um, so I go, I like it. I really like it. So I've I've come off my, um, probably come off my initial reaction, which was, thank God Philly liquidated an asset and got something for it. They got a young asset plus two future picks. I go, that makes sense if it's a guy they don't want to pay anyway. Um, I'm less in love with that now just when I think about the bloody direction of the franchise. But from Dallas, no-brainer. Nice fit. Nice uh, young Upside, I don't think he's the player he's yet to become. Um, I don't. I don't think he'll become a Roy Hibbert. I don't sense it. I. I think he's going to love playing thirty minutes a game, which no, we haven't seen. He's, he's close to a skinny version of John Joe Jordan. Um, so, and if he can bulk up a bit, he might be a poor man's John Joe Jordan. But that's the sort of game I think um, that he's going to be looking to play. Like in the pick and roll, he's going to be really nice. Yeah, just good pick and roll, big, really, and 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 a, and a rim protector. So I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think good on Dallas. Good on Dallas for not giving up a first round draft pick. I go, this is just good GMing, not giving up a first round draft pick. Well, according to and getting a... low, they did give her up a first round draft pick. That's how he tried to sell it to <laughs> yeah. the Philly media. Yeah. Uh, the next that's time. the other thing, right? I've been reading a bit about the the Philly fan base, and man, you thought Hinky was. You know, Hinky was under some pressure. There was the, you know, the process people, but he was under a lot of scrutiny for not saying anything to the media. He's kept everything right behind you know, behind closed doors. Well, it sounds like Colangelo's even worse. Mm-hmm. It's more, he's trying to give misdirection and just misleading shit. All the stuff with the injuries, he's misrepresenting. There's a player that no one talks about, and nor should you, 
unless you're a total Bucks geek like me, Jared Bayless, right? Nice Bucks player for the last couple of years, signs with Philly in the offseason. And you go, okay, you know, if, you know, he shot like 40% from three last year. Like, hey, nice little professional player to put in the backcourt next to Embiid and see what happens. And he had, quote, wrist soreness, right? Mm. Well, wrist soreness turned into a month out, turned into six weeks, turned into season-ending surgery. And so it's that sort of stuff that's been going on. And just recently with, um, was it Noel or Okafor? I'm not forgetting. One of them had a knee, a knee thing. Well, Embiid. Sorry, Embiid. Mm. Yeah. Knee contusion, right? And all of a sudden he's out for for how long? So I go, he's just how to lose the respect of a fan base mm. and disillusion your franchise in the eyes of your fans. I go, what? Uh, I just, uh, what are they doing? Why did you get rid of Hinky if you're just going to do this leisure domain sleight of hand? You know, asset accumulation. So, sorry, this this deal, as you can tell, is all about Philadelphia. Nice for Dallas, yay, well done. But this is all about, it's all about Philly. Yeah, let's just hope Justin Anderson works out. I guess from their point of view. But another franchise that was down and out uh, at the start of the season and must be feeling a lot better about themselves at the moment is Oklahoma City. Uh, they made a, a trade that could could work out well. Um, depending on how, how things shake out from here when they, uh, they gave up, essentially gave up Cameron Payne for Doug McDermott and Taj Gibson. I think there was some second round that sent from Chicago as well um, as part of that trade back to OKC. So a heavy price to pay. Uh, there was a throw-in player from uh, the OKC side as well, but uh, one of the guys that was sort of on the end of their bench, I think, just to make... Joffrey Levine... Yeah, that Joffrey was just a salary match, I, I would understand. <laughs> so I think the big thing was Cameron Payne, essentially, for the two players, if we if we look at it in that light. Uh, and when you think they gave up two first-round picks to get Doug McDermott in the first place, if you want to backtrack on trades and things like that, um, it's a fair price to pay. Obviously, Taj Gibson expiring the off-season didn't seem like he was going to stay around. But just looking at the OKC side first, so now... You look at it, and, you, and in one's hand, you think, "Well, this is they're, they're building a team that I think you know, really has no shooting in the starting five. Okay, McDermott might give them a little bit of shooting off the bench, but they are going to be just, and they're already monsters on the boards. They're going to be even bigger monsters on the boards now, and maybe they're looking at this and going, you know what? No one's going to beat Golden State anyway, and it doesn't matter what moves we make. We're not in that conversation, but if we make the right sort of moves here." Maybe we could, you know, in the 2v7 series against the Spurs or a 3v6 series against the, the Rockets, we could make a bit of noise in the first round, push on to the second round. Uh, we may walk away with the MVP for a season, and uh, it, it, we can certainly call it a success, despite the fact that Kevin Durant uh, left us um, with nothing uh, in the off-season. But, uh, again, interested in your thoughts on, on what that trade means for OKC. So you, you had asked me in episode six, was our, I think it was our last pod, you know, which players you thought were going to be on the move. And I said, I don't think it's players, but I'm most interested in what OKC would do. And so I'm feeling a bit vindicated in that just thinking about Russ's psyche and the way Russ is playing and the way he's, you know, just the way he's performing, I, I every 
every bone in my body said, this is not a guy who's going to lie down. He does not give a flying fuck, right, about what's happened in the offseason. Mofo wants to compete. So I, A, infinity plus for this trade, like infinity, like sideways, sideways A, infinity plus for this trade. I, I couldn't love this more. And this, I'm gonna, I'll stop. You're going to have to pull me in if I get in my good G- <laughs> Sam Presti train, Ernie Grunfeld train, right? What competent professional basketball men look like and ill-fitting, ill-suited fucking blowhards look like, on the other hand. I go, fucking masterstroke general manager here. Number one, Taj Gibson. Like, he was the heart and soul of the Bulls. So can we talk about the Bulls and that and that train wreck? Before I want to come back to the train wreck that's the Bulls. I go, the heart and soul of the team. The guy just is just a warrior. I go, what a perfect muscle, you know, and the right attitude, the right style of play to add to the front court in kind of the Ibaka light role. Doesn't have the range that Serge does but has every bit of the toughness and probably even more attitude than Serge. Love, love, love Taj, Taj Gibson for a veteran team. And Dougie Buckets, right? Well, he's, I guess, the anti-Robertson. Um, he plays defense. Um, I don't know. What's, how would you describe Dougie Buckets' defense? Pretty much probably like, like my defense. Like this beer bottle right here, right? <laughs> so, you know, he cold. Dude ain't playing a lot of D, right? Um, but he can shoot. And I say, you know, next to Russ, perhaps even paired with, if he plays in three, next to, you know, the primordy of Russ and Robertson, I go, I can see Dougie, Dougie Buckets fitting in in this, and also in the spot-up role. You know, as Russ runs absolutely rampant like a the Tasmanian devil over the court, the drive-and-dish game. So Dougie going to find his way to the corners and probably... I can't wait to see him if they use him like a J.J. Redick and run off 100 screens and just keep an emotion to get open shots or, a, I guess, a halfway in between Corver and and um, J.J. Redick. Well, essentially, and then I go, you're looking at Anthony Morrow, who was also in the trade, but uh, a guy that can shoot. Oh, he but he's lost his mojo. Yeah. Yeah, he could Poor, shoot before he went there. I, I don't know what happened to him. I like this. I don't know either. Know right. There's a... Uh, yeah, this is the all um, insecure team. You know, Brandon Knight's the captain. You know, Anthony Morrow's going to be the guys who just lost their mojo this year. Delavadova. I've seen that happen in OKC, and I don't know if it's a Westbrook thing or a Durant thing, but I've seen guys that were good shooters go there, and I've even seen guys have little hot streaks, in the, and then they just seem to lose their confidence. And I don't know if it's a it's a factor of, particularly when Durant was there and, and Westbrook and Durant are taking up so much of the ball and so many shots. And then when they expect the guy to hit a shot, he's just ice cold because he's not in well, the rhythm. But this is his third year there. This not They didn't just get Morrow in the offseason. Yeah, but That's I think he lost his confidence. Really. Somewhere, huh? Did he ever have it? I mean, I, he just never seemed to get in the rhythm there. I'm not I'm not saying it, that's definitive, but I, I'm interested to see maybe if, if he could get his shooting back. The other thing they might be looking at doing is somehow seeing if they can mould McDermott and Robeson together and create a super player where, you know, Robeson's defence and McDermott's shooting, like that would be the exact type of player that they'd want. Are we doing um, fantasy sex games <laughs> where the player is a, a hybrid offspring? You know, right. you know, my fantasy sex game today was, was um, 
I was watching Clippers Hornets quick side sidebar, and I was watching Austin Rivers play, and I hadn't quite, haven't really kind of you know got a good close look at him, and I go, oh Austin Rivers, like I know you're Doc Rivers' child, but man, he looks like the love child between Doc Rivers and Michael Carter Williams. He kind of <laughs> got that the goofy look. He kind of he kind of glossy you know kind of a gaze into outer space. He's not really present and kind of floats around the court like a ghost, but looks like his dad. So, yeah, maybe that's the, the new feature on Daz and Daz, basketball love child. Um, <laughs> so I'm sorry, to, what, what okay, were we so talking so about? We're looking at, I and, and I think love the, the point that this trade. was made, that I heard made, was this is a, a team you just do not want to play. I mean, even if you beat, even if you swept them in the first round, it's going to be a bloodbath. Like, this is just going to be a team that's going to come in and compete, with the exception of Ennis Kander. Every other player in the in that team will compete. I don't like Ennis Kander, in case you didn't know. Um, <laughs> but every other player is just going to get out there, and then there's going to be elbows flying around. They're going to be physical. They're going to beat you up down low. Westbrook's just going to keep coming at you every single minute of the game. And no matter who plays them, it's going to be a really, really it, tough series, and it's going to be difficult the next round after, uh, even if you get past OKC. Look, in defense of Inez Cantor, which is more probably a function of just the, the, the good coaching, is he knows exactly what he is, and he does it, right? There's no bullshit. This guy is, he allows Russ to rest, right? Because the offense can keep going with the second unit. So uh, from a, I'm not a big fan of his game either, right? He's like a big for me, he's like a big Michael Beasley. He's just a chucker. That's all he knows how to chuck. But um, I love this trade. I couldn't have conceived of it, right? I'm not nearly as clever as Sam Presti, but I love it. I love the attitude that it brings. Um, and on the Chicago side, you're right. I go, didn't you just trade the rights to um, – Yusuf Nurkic and Gary Harris, those are the two first-rounders picked in the, in the spots that you traded to get Dougie McBuckets. And you turned Dougie McBuckets into campaign, a wispy little – he's about 6'2 or 6'3, but does he have an NBA skill? Is he as fast as John Wall? Not. Can he shoot the three? Not. Is he like a floor general? Like he's kind of the same size of an Ish Smith. Not. I go, what does he do? And, oh, you're going to pair him with Rajon Rondo and Michael Carter-Williams and D-Wade? I go, oh, that's what Chicago's doing. Right. Getting more guards who can't play any, any position. Brilliant. So I, as, as flummoxed as I was about the, um, of the trade, when I stopped to think about the direction of where the Bulls are going, I go, GM septic tank, right? Gar Foreman and John Paxson. What the flying F is going on in Chicago? Well, I think to their, they just want to have a look at Cameron Payne, see how he fits. The, the word coming out of OKC was, oh, we love Cameron Payne. He's fantastic. But I could never work out if, he, if he's so good. Surely he can share the court for more time than he does with Russell Westbrook rather than just having you know, rest Russ for the 10 minutes a night or whatever it is. It's probably more than that, but, you know, he's playing just in Russ's spot. So I never quite... I always felt like they were pushing that, that narrative more as a trade chip. 
and I've seen Cameron Payne a couple of times. I've seen him come in and think, yeah, this this guy looks good. Other times he comes in and just looks lost. But I I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens when he gets more minutes under his belt. Does that happen in Chicago? I know that his first game he got four minutes or something, but let's put that down to just trying to integrate him into the team, etc. Um, you'd hope that either MCW or Rondo, even both, get benched and they just go with Cameron Payne, see what they've got before the end of the season. Um, they were clearly ready to move on from McDermott. Uh, I don't think they saw Taj Gibson was going to re-sign with them, so... Um, but I, I thought it was a pretty pretty paltry haul for two you know, genuine assets. I mean, Taj Gibson's a, a, a genuine asset. McDermott's a really nice shooter, which even though he plays zero defence, um, that, that's a real asset in today's NBA. I mean, what, what's more of an asset, I guess, in today's NBA, Robeson or McDermott? Yeah, it's like you said, though, they need to... They need to do sexy time and have a have a love child that plays three handy, yeah, yeah, like, not one I mean, or the other. I'm a yeah. bit more old school. Give me Robeson, but I, I, I think there's an argument there to say there's not a lot of difference between them. Uh, and Chicago well, given away, giving him away for as, as you say a, an unproven point guard. Look, it's That's, it's 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 overstating the relevance of the two players. But if you look around where Houston's going, where Houston just adds more firepower with Lou Williams and what obviously we all know what Golden State's capable of. I'm just thinking that they're just have their sights on. If we actually want to compete, we're going to have to score. We know Russ can score 40 on any given night. Um, and as Cantor can get his 20 every night off the bench. So I go, why not? Why not try and get Dougie, you know, maybe once or twice a seven game series, he'll hit six, three pointers and go, that's how you keep teams like Houston and Golden State, you know, on the ropes. You, You'd need three Robersons to compete with, you know, to to compete from a defensive standpoint against either of those teams. Yeah. Effectively, you need, you need to become the Spurs, because actually their defensive their defensive efficiency has dropped this year too, yeah. hasn't it? Actually, to kind of middle of the pack. But that's I guess what I see. Unless you have three Robersons, Robertson, Roberson, this name I always get stuck hey, with. All right. That's what. Well, I mean, you touched on Houston. Let's let's move. Houston and, and Toronto were two interesting teams uh, at the trade deadline, in the sense that they've made moves that it says we're going for the title now. And, and you talk about good GMs, Daryl Morey and Masaiji, two of the best GMs in the game. I think Masaiji for sure the number one. I would have him ranked number one of all of them. When you look at the trade, I mean. Toronto just always seemed to have an extra first-round draft pick up their sleeve. And you think, where'd they get that? And you remember, oh, they traded Jared Dudley and someone else for a first-rounder. And, you know, then again, now they've, they've either got that to trade, that's how they brought a Barker in, uh, or, you know, I think next year they've got they've still got their own pick, and I think another year after that they've got someone else's pick, and it's just, he keeps pulling these trades off. And now they, I think they looked at their team in the offseason and thought, look, we're going to have some salary problems in the off-season. We're probably going to have to break this iteration of the team up. Why don't we go in, get some extra pieces, see if we can push Cleveland. And Cleveland, by no means, look unbeatable at the moment. Uh, I think they're now clearly the number two team in the Eastern Conference. I mean, they they belted Boston uh, without Kyle Lowry in the first mm. game after the trade deadline. Uh, and I think that was a really nice game by Corey Joseph, who, who played good D on Isaiah Thomas, I think kept him for 20 points. So, 
this is a really deep team now. Uh, I love what they did. I think PJ Tucker's a nice addition. Uh, I think Ibaka's going to fit in really well. Uh, and, I, and I think the same with Houston. I think they went out and got exactly the type of player they needed. Um, I know they were in the market for another good wing defender, which they didn't get. But but D'Antoni's just basically saying, look, I'm going to come out. He said it the other day. He said, I want us to be shooting 53s a game. 53s a game. So they shot 58 the other night. Yeah. yeah so they, and, and if they play games, then they might put up 63s a game. But that's that's their aim. And I've, we've never seen that before in an NBA. I mean, even the Warriors haven't been uh, you know, shooting to that level of three. So this is just going to be a team that's just going to be putting it up all night. And if they go in, they're going to be nearly impossible to beat. Uh, and if they obviously, if they don't go in, they're going to be in a bit of trouble. But they're, they're just going all in on the offensive. And if you're doing that, Lou Williams makes perfect sense. He does. He hit seven threes the other night. Seven. Mm. Seven four it's... seven two, I believe it was. Oh, was it? I could be oh, wrong on a... that. Yeah. Um. Fact check. Fake news. <laughs> fake news right here on Daz and Daz. <laughs> but how cool is it to watch? This is fun. I can't believe the one eighty I've done this year. I have. Um, I'd rather, you know, watch, you know, paint dry than watch James Harden play basketball most years. But it's changed this year. That the Dentoni system has oh, totally changed as, as soon as my Dan view of announced as coach. That was I knew fuck. that was going to be a really nice fit. What a great fit, right? And so to watch, you know, Harden getting the rest on the bench, literally waving a towel. Now, Grim, I think they were playing the Pelicans or the Wolves. I think it's the two games they've run up 140 points. Mm. The last two nights are so not exactly defensive juggernauts, but um, but the fact remains to have Lou start his Rockets career with James Harden waving a towel in the middle of the third quarter whilst he just drains off balance fadeaway threes is I go fucking great again. Daryl Morey or Masai, you put him up executives of the year. It's going to be a it's going to be a tight race. So I, yeah, there's not much deep exclamation required. Let's just watch that. The oh, fireworks yeah. in Houston, I right? That's going to be fun. Obviously, still got a tougher run. They've still got the Spurs. Um, the Clippers are going to be still t- a tough, tough out. I just, but, but with Toronto in the East, I now oh. think they're they're just a clear number two, and not as far below the Cavs uh, as what they were certainly before those trades were made, in my view. Look, I love PJ Tucker. Look, you need to be a real a real basketball geek. And I just so happened to, you know, Phoenix is my second favorite team. So I've always, I've always followed the sun. So I know PJ Tucker and I go, what a, again, almost like the Taj Gibson, just what a perfect, um, um, what's the best phrase for PJ Tucker is a junkyard dog. That guy's just going to fight and growl and spit and claw and he doesn't give a fucking shit about how many MVPs LeBron has. That, for me, is the most fascinating thing. If they can make their way to the Eastern Conference Finals, and that's, that's not a you know, that's not a small if, I go, P.J. Tucker is the guy to piss off LeBron. And, again, no one can defend LeBron, but he's the sort of player that won't back down. So that is 100%. That's all that that trade is meant to do. As they go, we need someone with some size and some grit 
in some in some fight who can um, get under LeBron's skin in the playoffs. So I couldn't love that. Could I love that trade more than the Taj Gibson trade? Yeah, just about. Just what's fascinating is if we um, I don't know if you want to go here next, but when I think about what Toronto did to get, um, you know, they gave up some assets, right, to give, um, to get Ibaka, to get PJ Tucker, and yet Cleveland has to give up nothing to get Darren Williams and Andrew Bogut. So what did you what did you think about what the Cavs did? Uh, look, I mean, for the Cavs, obviously you, you like it. Uh, the fact that they they can pick up these players of genuine NBA assets uh, for nothing. But I think from a, a competitive point of view, I guess, it's something the NBA... Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think they need to look at it, but it's like, what, what do they do? I mean, there's a, I guess there's the argument where players should be allowed to play wherever they want. If they get bored out and if, if teams don't want them and they want to buy them out, then that's fine. But isn't there... I mean, shouldn't there be some sort of waiver system, I suppose? If you want to get bored out, if you don't want to play for that team, you go into a waiver pool and any team... I mean, because it, I thought there was some sort of waiver system, but now it just seems it's, it's just a, a free-for-all. Yeah, look, you can be waived, which you're subject to, and then but the team making the claim on the waiver wires is has to claim your contract and Bogut's earning a shitload. And so you'd have to have teams underneath the salary cap, which is like two, it's like Denver, Utah, and Philly. There's no chance they're signing Bogut for full value. So they agree to a buyout, right? So he basically becomes a free agent. So the, the process is there. It's, I just think the question is the timing, right? Is I guess it's the, you watch these teams like Toronto, um, in Houston, give up major assets, you know, first round picks to get players. And it just sort of, you know, Cleveland's strategy was always was to bet, just wait till people get bought out and see what, see what happens. So it is a bit of an injustice to have them literally give up nothing to get two NBA quality players. But it's in, I guess it's in the rules. I guess I was probably from a pure fan's perspective. PJ Tucker's entertaining to get um, to get LeBron pissed off. Um, I'm almost equally entertained by the fact of of Bogut, right? You know Bogut, mm. who was dumped, like dumped, like like my ex-wife, thrown to the curb, gone, dead. You're dead to me, Bogut. Go get out of here. Go play for Dallas and you know win 21 games this year. Now he's ended up on Cleveland. Oh, I can't wait to see Bogut play oh, a tip-off in game one. I think it was the, a little bit too game clever one. by half by Golden State because I, I think reading between the lines, I've always felt they were holding out that olive branch that, look, it's not going to go well in Dallas. Just wait. We'll either trade a second-round pick for you and pick you up or get bored out and you can come back. Uh, and I think... You Bogut know what? I could, looked at it I could accept that, but you go in... Don't go and fucking sign Zaza, right? I hear you. Like, I get what you're saying. But then you go and sign Zaza and do this other stuff? No. Done. You're dead to me. So I'm, I'm fascinated by Bogut. He'll be breathing fire for his for his, the nine minutes he plays <laughs> in game <laughs> it's one. It's going to be in the dark <laughs> They did about it. 
Uh, and then obviously the Darren Williams side of things, that's LeBron's playmaker that he's been crying about. So yeah. he gets his playmaker. He's got that. Oh, gee, I'd love to see the Cavs get knocked out in the Eastern Conference. I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> but well, who's it, So who's it, who's it going to be after the trade deadline? Who's Who do you like better? Boston, who did? What did Boston do? Oh, they did... No, they I, did I don't nothing. Like Boston. Did they? No, I, Boston did nothing at the trade deadline. No. I, I'm not into Boston. Not, not now. I think they need to make some move. We talked about them, the Kenneth Farid or something. Like, just make some move at the trade deadline. They didn't. I understand why they didn't, but I don't. They're not winning the title this year. I wouldn't even be surprised if they went out in the first round. Um, yeah. I'm not. I'm not convinced they're built to win in the playoffs. And we'll talk about them a bit later because I did watch their game today. Um, okay. But. I, I like Toronto at the moment. I think the Wizards are a bit risky, but I just, I don't know. Bogdanovich scored two points in his debut, scored 15 points in his second game, but they've, they've lost both games uh, since he's come in. Not not blaming him for that, but I just don't know that he's going to make the impact that they need uh, to push them up. I think they're going to be an entertaining team in the playoffs. But I, I think if, if you told me, look, I think obviously the Cavs are still the prohibitive favourites but if you said they didn't get through I'd be putting a lot of money on Toronto I think Toronto are well uh, well built now to really be a contender uh, against the Cavs going into the playoffs and I'd love to see them uh, I would just so much love to see them knock them off <laughs> and uh, I'm just sick and tired uh, of the Cavs in the last few years and I'll probably feel the same way in the Western Conference, but I think reality steps in and you think there's not much chance of Golden State slipping up and barring an injury, and you never want to see a team, even one you're not that fond of, lose because of injuries uh, and things like that. So, uh, the but the, let's get on to that. I mean, we, I, I just spoke about the game I watched today uh, I and, and some of the games over the weekend. Uh, one of the games I want to talk about today was the Detroit uh, Celtics game, the Celtics at, at Detroit, and we spoke last week about do you blow Detroit up, Drummond and Jackson, and I'll tell you what, if you watch today's game just in isolation, you would really want to blow up that call, because Andre Drummond shot 1 of 11 at the free throw line, uh, they were 15 down, I think, and my favourite point guard in the NBA, Ish Smith, came on he actually played some really nice defence for a little bit on uh, Isaiah Thomas. Got them back into the game by getting some stops. They ended up taking the lead. Reggie Jackson came back on at that point. Uh, Cornwall Pope hit a three, put them up by one. So they're up one, just under a minute to go. In a good spot, obviously, your slight favourites at that point. The game's not wrapped up or anything like that. And then with 13 seconds left on the shot clock, without passing, without doing anything, Near the logo, Reggie Jackson just hoists a three, a 32% a three-point shooter. Bricks it to the surprise of no one. Boston get the rebound. Uh, they kick it out to Jalen Brown in the corner. Ice-cold three from Brown. They're up, and he gets fouled on the shot. So now they're going for the line for, for one. Jalen Brown puts up the three, misses it. Marcus Smart, of all people, gets the rebound. He gets fouled. Puts in the two points, five-point play, game over. So the point there is Reggie Jackson takes a, one of the worst shots I've ever seen. 
uh, for a, such a bad shooter as well. And then because Andre Drummond can't shoot free throws, he can't be on the floor. So they're going down, they can't even get a rebound from a free throw, and they lose a perfectly winnable game. Uh, so it sort of said to me, you know, I wasn't overly convinced with what I saw from Boston. I love the fact that Jalen Brown hit the big shot for them. Um, but from the Detroit point of view, it's just looking more and more a mess every time I see them. I saw the game too. I saw I saw the second half, to be fair. So I saw the same sequence. I know Did what you're you talking like about. Did you like game? Yeah, look, what's I don't get the love affair with this Smith. I mean, he's a he's an NBA player, right? So I go to to fair play to Ish Smith. He, well, Philly's he belongs... my second team. So when he came to Philly and just made them at least yeah. semi competent, he made them a basketball team. That's yeah, right. not a fantasy team of power forwards only. Yeah, um, that was disheartening. Because I, I got to say, so the two sides of this coin, I went, um, Detroit first, yeah, you can't have your best player. How can you build a team where your best player has to be on the bench for every single close game? And we're talking, this is regular season. Mm. There is no chance Drummond is in the game. If the, if the you know, I was watching it later, I didn't see the heck of Drummond. They didn't need to do that, right, because Boston kind of had – they had the lead, and I he think was they he did was it once. About just there was ago, one, right? But I saw him. They did. I saw the hack of Jordan later on. But Charlotte, Charlotte, and the Clippers were hacking DeAndre Jordan. A tight game, back and forth. It went to overtime, and so it just you know, how do you build a team when your best player can't play the last four or five minutes of a game? You can't. You can't. I just, that's it. That's I go. You're right. You can't. Because your best player also, as you read it, is the only your only rebounding force, a phenomenal rebounder at that. But when he's not there, yeah, that whole sequence was that Where's was the competitive uh, pride in the guy to shoot one of eleven. Like I just don't don't get that. Well, if this if you talk to Rick Barry, you go, you can't do it worse underhanded. So why not do it underhanded? He's just he's embarrassed. I go if you could if you were promised to make a hundred million extra dollars shooting underhanded if it could make you seventy percent shooter wouldn't you do it? Oh, there, like there was a great story on I think either Grantland or the Ringer about that, and they they talked to Rick Barry about it. Yeah, he said he's spoken to guys and they shoot better in the gym doing it that way, but uh, it's just too too embarrassing. It's like they might laugh at you. You might be on Shaq and the Fool for the first game, and then people will just get used to it. It's like Carlos Booz's hair. People just got used to it. LeBron's hair. <laughs> I mean, the spray on? LeBron's hair of Carlos Booz. Yeah. It, it, it couldn't be anything more embarrassing than that. But, then, but after a while, to Booz's credit, he just owned it. He just kept coming out like that. Stone. Look, LeBron's a, LeBron's a tool, but at least I saw him joke about it. He goes, I can't grow any up top, so I'm going to grow a beard. So I go, okay, fair enough. At least he's called it. So he's finally at least called it out. But I go, oh, I have a feeling this is going to be a topic for the whole NBA for the next, you know, next four months through the through the draft and through the summer free agency is what to do about Drummond. Can you start again? You start looking around. If Netherlands Noel can't even command a first round draft pick, I go, who's out there willing to give a bunch of assets to get Drummond, who shoots like four percent from the line? Yeah, you can't get over that. You, that's oh, yeah. just 
you, you can't recover from a, from a guy that's shooting. And that's what hurt them today. They just couldn't recover from it. I mean, poor decision-making from Reggie Jackson. And Andre Drummond can't be on the on the court. So. Yeah, look, that's got to... I saw Stan Van Gundy, he, after the Reggie Jackson and then the foul, he just ran to the corner and laughed. Where he just... Mm. He, I just sort of... Your heart breaks. I just... I, I'm, this is a little bit of band... Not, not band, I'm a soapbox I'm going to jump on as I... I've read a lot about about Detroit, similar in the, in the land of the Milwaukee Bucks, but casual fans jumping on the fire, SVG or fire Jason Kidd. I said no amount of coaching makes Reggie fucking Jackson, you know, run, you know, run a quality play and make an extra pass there. That's just a hero. That's a hero ball player trying to play hero ball, and that's why Stan Van Gundy runs at the corner and laughs because he he knows that he's probably had that conversation 50 times already in Jackson's first year and a half there in Detroit. So um, I think it's a, it's going to end messy. I just hope if the, the Detroit um, leadership and the D- Detroit fans see that this is not Stan Van Gundy's fault. No. And look, he's, G- he's GM, right? He's effectively mm. the GM and, and the coach. So be, to be fair, he has to own he has to own this thing. He was he was there when Jackson came around, so he's got to own that. But um, I feel my I sort of feel for Stan. What did you make on the Boston side of the ball? Because every time I seem to see Boston, they just there's something about the team that I'm not that impressed by. But then Marcus Smart will come out and make a big hustle play. Jalen Brandley had a big shot. Uh, Isaiah's always getting his points. They just find the way, and obviously Brad Stevens a good um, coach. But what did you make of, the, of that side of the ball? So I love players like Marcus Smart. Because I know you and I have talked about this before, but it doesn't matter what sort of pressure you're under. If it's a you know February game against the the Pistons or Game Seven of the of the Finals, that the pressure is never going to get to a Marcus Smart to jump out of the gym and grab a rebound or dive for a ball or dig his heels in and make a ph- phenomenal defensive play or, you know, take on the tough one, four, one, five switch mm. and still muscle his man out of the lane. Which he did today against Which he just, it's exactly what he did. That's right. I saw, I saw a lot of switching and I go, fuck, can he defend? Mm. So that's where I love Marcus Smart, that type of player. I go, you put him literally on any championship team and he'll fit in instantly. He's not an offensive asset, right? And there's no denying his offensive limitations. But unlike, say, a Rubio who can't who can't score at all, teams will find ways to score around Marcus Smart. Yeah, I think and just his tough his role on offense. That's that's where I get a bit stuck on him. Sometimes he thinks yeah, he's better than he is, but he's still young. A little bit. So I I sort of zoom in on my love for Marcus Smart, and man, I see the flashes of Jalen Brown. Mm. I see flashes, right? So I go, I love I love that bit. But I'm I'm with you. I go. Al Horford still heaves twenty eight footers. Yeah. It just it looks it looks like Brooke Lopez trying to shoot a three. Like we've decided this is what it's a gimmick, so this is what he's going to do. And the, there's a lot of standing around watching Isaiah dribble f- for 21 seconds. Like, uh, and Isaiah starting to get very inefficient in the fourth quarters, which I think will continue. I think there'll be some regression of the mean. I think you're right. A guy that size is bound to hit some, you know, bound to hit some rough patches. But I. 
I don't love how they're constructed, and I think we'll play the tape on episode six. I predicted they'd do nothing or they'd get a mega star like a butler, mm. and uh, and they did nothing, which is probably, I think, in the in retrospect of hearing how these trades did or didn't come about, um, Paul George or Jimmy Butler. Um, I, I guess I'm still in the Danny Ainge camp where, and I think I might have mentioned our last pod, you have to see where this net pick lands up, yeah. ends up first before you start to make any dramatic moves. Same thing, I think, if I'm a trade partner. Why, mm-hmm. if there's any chance that that pick, you know, falls, say, to number four, or it's, which is possible, mm-hmm. uh, you can't do this deal. You'd be vilified. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it. So as, as, um, as dim-witted as Gar Foreman and John Paxson seem to be these days, they probably know that's almost the grounds for instant, you know, you'd have every fan running you out of town if you make a trade for Jimmy Butler with the with the Brooklyn pick and suddenly the ping pong ball falls to number four. Yeah. I, I um, think they're very likely to revisit that trade in the in the off season and obviously around, yeah. around the time of the draft. Uh, I don't think they'll do it, but I think that certainly that the the rumors will be back out there and they'll be revisiting it. Uh, I think they'll get this pick. I don't know how real the Gordon Hayward, you know, Brad Stevens love affair is. I, I don't you know, there's, there's, look, it's probably a deeper love and respect than, say, Kevin Durant and Scotty Brooks, I would fair, to, I would say, mm. the time they'd spent together. Um, and something about, you know, those, those formative years in, in college. So I, I think there's a lot of legs to that story, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but this was the point was made. I mean, if you go and sign Gordon Hayward, then you've got Gordon Hayward on a big contract. Isaiah Thomas will, will want to get paid at some point. You've already got Al Horford on a big contract. You're starting to sort of cap yourself out, and are any of those guys superstars? I'm not, I'm not convinced they are. So, where does that leave? Obviously, you're hoping one of these draft players will come in, but they're not going to come in and be stars straight away either. So, I think it, it's an interesting conundrum if they do sign Haywood, where that takes the franchise. I tend to fall at the Bill Simmons camp here, which is they seem to like that is a that's a criticism, and it's probably a fair one. That's not a champion chip caliber team but the fact remains they're a top five six team in the nba and they're building for the long-term future so go their their salary cap is healthy they got a bunch of young assets on the team and they got a whole bunch of future draft picks including their own so i go we as for much credit quote unquote we give you know minnesota or phoenix or milwaukee or whomever for assembling young cores i'm like wait a second they're doing that and can't even you know you can't win 30 games. We got here's Boston, who's going out getting free agents and going to win 50 some games, and has a whole bunch of first round draft picks in the future. So I go, it's a, you know, it's a surplus of riches there. So I don't think it's ex- exactly a, I don't know if it's a total criticism to say, oh, they get Gordon Hayward and and so they're not a championship team. Well, what about Markel Fultz and Gordon Hayward and Isaiah Thomas and Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart and Jay Crowder? I go, holy, right? That's even if you Isaiah go on free agency the following year, you probably got yourself a, you know, well, that was a good contending team. I don't see Isaiah Thomas being on this team long term, but I think that's probably um, we'll see how that plays out as time goes on. Uh, the other game that you watched was Charlotte and the Clippers, and that was a really uh, exciting game. Went to overtime. Clippers ended up winning by three. I think it was hundred and. 23 to 120 uh, but really nice 
final game plays in the end because it, it amazes me these teams they get to the end of games and they've got shots to win and shots to tie it and they're shooting fadeaways and it's like I've, I've watched so much NBA over the years and I think the one thing I'll be telling guys if you can get to the rim try and take it to the bucket and of course Blake, Blake Griffin eventually does it and Kemba Walker was doing it for Charlotte but I guess the point I was making on the Clippers side the first shot they had I think to win was Chris Ball tried to fade away and the second one was Blake Griffin tried to fade away and it's just like take, you know, when you've got talent like they've got take the ball to the rim put the pressure on the on the uh, the defence to stop you because if you're shooting a fadeaway you're just putting the pressure on yourself to make the shot that's the way I sort of look at it but um, what did you think I guess of the, of the late game plays there and then the overall performance of both of those teams yeah I saw the same I, I thought that was funny that they came out of a so this is what 10 seconds left in the game game is tied and this is regulation I think it is mm-hmm. and Clippers got the ball and they do an ISO post up of of Chris Paul where Blake pops to the top and then this is back to Chris Paul, who's trying to back down Kemba in the post, and just as you said, ends up shooting a 21-foot fadeaway, which, which wasn't even close. So I thought, you've got Chris Paul, perhaps arguably the best point guard in the game. And like, you don't let him create something. You put him, in, you ISO him in the post. So that was coaching, right? So that's not a Chris Paul thing. I go, what the f- what kind of play was drawn up there? So I agree with you that the end of game stuff there was bizarre. There was some hack of Jordan stuff and there was 57 fouls called in the game. It got really chippy in the second. Game. It was two hours, 10 minutes on league pass with everything cut out. Yeah, it was a chippy, chippy game. But what I, what I liked about it, right. So it's like, the couple aspects, one on the Charlotte side, fuck, I don't know how they're so, how the record isn't better. But there's a team who doesn't have Zeller. He's been out for a while. Um, <laughs> new new anchor Miles Plumley. Yeah, he's not he's not available. So they're down two big men, right? So effectively, Frank Kaminsky's playing all the center minutes. So they're down two guys, and it just gets really physical in the second half. Blake and DeAndre all over the place, and Marvin Williams bashing around, and so um, MKG goes and fouls out. Mm. And um, and Kaminsky uh, falls out. out, right? So they both fall out, and so. But I love just how they they competed. So there's something about Charlotte. Um, look, I love, look, I love Kemba and Batum. That's might be my my uh, irrational um, modern NBA backcourt. The lightning bug Kemba, who's big enough to defend a Chris Paul on a good day, can make shots from everywhere, and Batum the sort of uber three and D who today who just, he was on fire. Hmm. Do you see some of his shots? He hit seven, three pointers in the second half and he didn't care. He just going up over everybody and JJ Redick fucking JJ Redick plays some awesome defense. And so as, as clunky as the, the refereeing was, and there was a lot of fouls called. There was just, there was high quality NBA basketball going on. So my overall thought was how was Charlotte not a better team than their record shows to be down two big men, to have two guys like that. And you see, you can just see the quality Steve Clifford coaching mm. in that squad. Um, how are they not a better team? Oh, I think um, they play to their opponents. I mean, I saw them play the Spurs 
earlier in the year, and they went toe-to-toe with the Spurs. I think the Spurs ended up winning the game in a close one. But uh, then you see them the very next night, and they're playing like a Philly. I think, actually, I think they'll play Miami, and that was before Miami went on the win streak. And they were just terrible. And it was yeah. another close one. They lost another one down the stretch. And you just think, and Kemba's such a good player down the stretch in close games too. So you think, how are they just not not getting over the hump consistently? Yeah. I think you'll find with Charlotte, I, I hope they stay the course with this team with Steve Clifford because I just think sometimes we talk about regression to the moon before with Isaiah with in the fourth quarter. I think there may be some of that this year with, with Charlotte. I think a lot of, yeah, it was one of them. One of those seasons where everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. Uh, if they stick with this this team, maybe add another nice piece through the draft. Uh, I could see them being a better team and maybe pushing up into the playoffs again next season uh, if they start winning some of these yeah. games like what they lost today. I was just really happy because I'd picked him up on my fantasy team, Frank Kaminsky, and so I got a, <laughs> You know, I had a good. He's had, but I go, what I see in Frank the Tank is um, he's had a Kevin Love-like body transformation where I start to see he's now been 18 months in the league, I think the first 50 games, right? And we hear it all the time. He's just, he does nothing but burn energy for, for 50 games. I think he's got his body type. Give him one more year to add a little more muscle. So he's lost his kind of chubby college McDonald's, you know, eating hamburgers every night sort of, you know, sort of body. That's what I like about I like about Charlotte with him and Zeller. I go that's actually a really interesting, really interesting long front court. Um, I, I like what that could become, which is a bit of a vindication for. I think that was not a look. It wasn't a reach. It wasn't a drastic reach, right? I think at number nine, but it's fair to say that Jordan took a fair bit of heat for for taking Kaminsky there. Well, I um, think it was more heat than not taking the Boston trade offer. There's the trade for just Kaminsky. That's that's right, wasn't it? Because they wanted to get Winslow there, didn't they? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So I think it's a good on him, right? I sort of, um, it's a bit of indication where he saw something in him, probably have the same way the Knicks saw something in Zinger, and so I really like what what Kaminsky can bring to that team. And I think Jeremy so, Lamb's another guy that shows glimpses. Uh, he hit two big shots. They sent him to overtime today. Uh, and, and there's a guy that played an okay season as well, and he, to me, looked much better player. And I understand he's gotten older as he's gone to Charlotte, but uh, I could see him having a decent career um, going forward. I'm not sure what his ceiling is, but he's certainly going to have a long career in the NBA. I just can't... He just needs to shoot the ball. Like, he was meant to be a shooter, right? And he shoots, like, some ridiculous... Does he shoot, like, 25% from three this year? So he's kind of gone... I don't know what's happened to him either, but... You're right. I saw glimpses. Like the dude shows flashes. He mm. he was going up and grabbing rebounds in traffic and making some nice plays in transition. So I go, he just he looks like an NBA player. Like he passes the eye test. But I don't know what's going on with Lamb. I, I guess I don't know him that closely. But um, probably the most of all the games I saw. You know, I think everyone watched watched the Pelicans kind of um, have. have after having traded away 62 minutes of game from their backcourt, not surprisingly, right, AD and Boogie go off and lose by 30. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty that's pretty predictable. from last week's polls yeah. because they are not a league pass option. I mean, unless you like seeing a big seven-foot guy get into foul trouble and pout on the bench while uh, well, the well, league is come on. running around. Oh, he <laughs> is terrible. Look, 
they're going nowhere oh. and they're going nowhere fast. I think Sacramento could end up with a top 10 pick out of this. Um, the Pelicans look terrible. The Marcus Cousins look like the exact same player he was in Sacramento. Uh, I think he's going to bowl in free agency. It's a terrible trade, terrible fit. I want no part of this anymore. I will not be watching any more Pelicans games. You I'm done. After two I'm games. done. Three two games. games. Three games. They're Owen three. three. And I've sat through many minutes, and the man looks like he's going to cry every time he gets into foul trouble. But he still puts up like, 28 and 14. Kawhi he makes every played, free throw. Kawhi Leonard's played six seasons in the NBA. You know he hasn't fouled out once. And you know what else he hasn't done? He's never looked like he's going to cry. On the court. Maybe when well, he's, he's got not... his finals MVP. Yeah, but DeMarcus is just empathic. You know, he senses the emotion on the... <laughs> Look. He senses the emotion. Are you, saying, are you seriously saying you've enjoyed even one minute of any of those games? I like terrible. the experiment. I'm not... Look, I called it, right? I said they traded away 62 minutes of backcourt per game in their backcourt. By definition, they're going to have to have D-League scrubs. Well, each one that not even playing. He's yeah, for personal reasons. I think he he was probably upset. He played. He, he played today. Yeah, he played. Play. Yeah, he did. But it, uh, he was crying too. I don't I'd know what's going on. For personal reasons, if that guy was on my team, I'll tell you that. But I go, oh yeah, that's that's brutal. Their backcourt and their wing defense is beyond brutal. And what? <laughs> well, Tim Frazier's back to playing big minutes. God, that's, he's, that's never good. That's not for good. I, the love affair with him, I don't understand. And, of course, Caspi goes and breaks his fucking thumb five minutes into his Pelicans and career. Boy, he actually was playing well in that game. Yeah, he had like he was like four for six from downtown, wasn't he? Were, I think they were even with Houston at halftime in that game. Yeah. Uh, and it, when Caspi yeah. was out there, he said, oh, okay, I, I can sort of see something here. But when Caspi went off, and he's since been waived, um... It's all that's bored an, out or whatever. Maybe you didn't see it off camera, but that's why that's why Boogie was crying. He gave a big <laughs> hug to Omri, a big embrace. He was really sad for his friend. Oh man, nah. I just, Look, I'm, I, I'm not I'm, on board. I'm still of the mind they didn't give up that much, right, to get a spectacular talent. That's going to be a pick now. They've, uh, that's going to be. I, I'm, I, I think Sacramento is going to win that trade. That'll be a good pick. That, that's going to be a good pick. I agree. Rooting for Buddy Heald. No doubt about it. Yeah. I'd love I to see. So. I mean, Sacramento won their first game as well, but then they got uh, belted, I think, in their second game. Full. Dis- I haven't seen him play yet. I've been so focused on, yeah. I guess well, been... I Corley Stein got, I didn't watch the game, but saw the highlights. Corley Stein got 29 points in Sacramento's first game. And, and then he got four four points in 11 minutes the next game. I think he got in foul trouble the next game, but he didn't cry when he was in foul trouble. He just accepted no. like a man. <laughs> he did. They're calling, they're, they call this trade the the Willie Cauley Steinessence. Like there's some sort of, I don't know, like a renaissance. Like a Kufos is getting good. I, I, I haven't seen Sacramento play. I don't know if I want to see them play. Um, no, I don't want to see them play. I don't want to see them play. I, I think what will happen now is, and we'll talk Tankathon, I think, next week. That's something we can look at a bit more closely. But I, I think it's really in play. Obviously, Sacramento will keep their own pick, which they wouldn't have kept, I don't think, had Boogie have stayed. Uh, Philly are tanking now, so the whole pick swap thing doesn't seem like it's going to be a massive drama for them uh, with them. And I think New Orleans 
Um, Alan three to start. The what is it? Fire and ice. There's another one. Another thing that annoyed me about the whole experience. Um, rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Absolute rubbish. Um, but I, I can certainly see the Pelicans. They're not. They're not in the playoff hunt anyway. Uh, to my view, they'd need to go on some sort of win streak. And, and to your point, I mean, to be fair to Marcus Cousins, he's putting up numbers and really is just such a horrific backcourt um, and even small forward position when there's any any number of positions that are just not filled on this team. So it's it's an extremely incomplete team uh, at the moment and, and not one that's going to be in the playoff hunt. So they're going to be end up giving a, a, a possibly a quite reasonable pick to Sacramento and Sacramento could walk away and say well we keep Boogie got to pay him 200 million and have no draft picks in the 2017 draft or we get rid of Boogie the biggest cancer in the NBA and we've got two picks in the top 10 in the 2017 NBA draft so the current the current pick that's all right yeah look fair enough the current pick is number six and that's right where you can expect to get someone like a Malik Monk or a Jonathan Isaac so I go you start to say hmm that does make that make the the trade a little bit more interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, from like a Sacramento so. standpoint. Yeah, no doubt. So well, we might dive yep. into that a bit more next week, Darren. We'll, we'll look a bit more at the, the tanking teams. I know we want to talk about best coaches in the NBA, best GMs in the NBA, uh, and obviously we'll we'll also be watching some games uh, in the next week or so to see uh, what takes our eye uh, across the NBA landscape as we move in toward the playoffs but uh, thanks for joining me again Darren yeah it was good fun thanks yeah. Daz we'll leave it there and we'll, we'll see you all again next week